0: what can buyers do? Maybe not for the off market stuff, but just even let's say a property is listed. I mean, how can uh, like buyers set themselves apart?
1: I think being honest (laughs) is a really good start. And if I say, if we talk, you know, you're a buyer that just came to the market and you say, I just bought this $25 million deal. And I call you and I say, what else are you looking for here? The first step would be tell me what you're looking for. (laughs) Um, Because I think that uh, you know, being honest and being transparent about your acquisition criteria, you know, our, our interests are aligned. You want more inventory. If assuming you're interested in expanding a submarket, market, you want more inventory and I want to know what you're looking for. So um, tell me what it is. And then if I send you a deal, um, tell me what you think of it. Yeah you know, and, and don't just say, hey, let's go see it. You know, this is great if, if it's not, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to see it and if you think that it checks enough boxes that it's worth looking at, great, it's a good way to start getting a feel and so I can kind of tailor what I send you. Um, but until that point, I just, I like, I like to hear from the person, give me a little feedback on what missed the mark about it for you, tell me what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it. And then the next deal, if I'm doing my job and listening, there's more that you like about yeah. it, unless you don't like about yeah. it, right? Um, and from there, I, I think it's about being honest with somebody. And um, when they're, when I'm getting deals in front of you, that you know, at a certain point, I'll say, okay, you've been, I've got this off market lead, and I feel like I can trust you enough because you've been straight with me. And here's what it is, you know, I don't have a listing agreement, I don't have a sign, I don't have protection from the seller, but I feel like I can trust you that we can look at this together. And that's where we're at now, right? Is that's where I can call you. And I know that if it's something that you like, we'll look at it together. And yeah, I don't get screwed.
0: Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start. And most of the education out there is just complete trash. And you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate that's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor and we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Brenneman Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. So for today's episode, what I want to do is actually something a little different than any of the, any of the other episodes I've done so far. Um, kind of over the last year and a half, this podcast has really grown a lot. So, I mean, thank you to everybody who watches it, who listens, who sends me messages on uh, social media or emails me about it. I mean, I really appreciate how this thing has grown. Um, so for this, this week's episode, what I want to do, though, is I want to go back and I'm going to do a few more of these, but not too many. Uh, this is going to be a, uh, I want to call out a past episode and, and put it out there again uh, for, for this podcast. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to do too many of these because I know if you think, okay, great, a replay, uh, what's the point of that? I might have already heard it. But really, one of the first episodes that uh, I did, actually the first episode that I did with Joe Mazel, we really went long form. So Joe Mazel, he's a in the five to thirty million dollar apartment size in Chicago. He's the number one broker, and we went long form, uh, just. The podcast when I first started, a lot of them were like an hour, fifteen minutes, hour and a half. Um, and later on, I started trying to get uh, maybe get to the point quicker. But doing that, you know, you do miss some things along the way. And so on this, I went long form with with Joe and just really asked him everything I could think of on how did he, what did he do, and what is he doing to become, to be the number one broker? Like what what did he do along the way? What's he doing today? As well as questions about what you can do as a buyer to set yourself apart, or to you know earn the respect, or to get on like a short list of buyers uh, from a top broker like Joe. So this is this was one of my favorite episodes, and one of the ones I thought added the most value, especially if you're a broker and you're trying to learn from other people or people that are at the top of their game. Uh, that that would be someone. If that's you, this is definitely worth. Uh, listening or watching to if you haven't seen it. And then uh, also if you're you're a principal who buys or sells deals, I mean, it's definitely uh, something that, that you're going to want to take in because there's a lot of good nuggets of advice in there for that um, for you as well. So without any uh, further ado, this is uh, episode one. So I'm not sure maybe most people, they don't want to um, replay their first episode either. As a, as a host, it probably doesn't get any worse uh, from me. Than than this episode where I, um, you know, it's just probably mumbling and stumbling my way through. So and also, too, if you have not left a review for the podcast, wherever you're listening, if you could, please, uh, just doesn't take very long. Uh, You know, if you're listening on Apple, you just click, you know, press write a review, leave something quick, press five stars, send it in. Uh, Just anything, same thing, Spotify. You don't even need to write anything. That's just a rating. And that helps a lot, though. In terms of when people look at new podcasts they go they look at the ratings and say okay how big is this podcast or how good is it based on the ratings often and then also um, if you're getting constant feedback constant high ratings like the algorithm does push that out to a higher position so if someone searches real estate investing or something that we would fall into you know it's more likely the more Uh, positive reviews we have or the more frequently they're coming in that that will be suggested so anything you can do to help grow the podcast i'd appreciate it share it with a friend or or leave one of those reviews but yeah without any further ado joe smazel episode one on the show today is joe smazel with intera realty multifamily and mixed-use property broker here in chicago he specializes in properties from three to thirty million dollars uh, with $500 million in total career sales, with most of that, I think 80% or so in the last five years. Welcome.
1: What's up, Drew? Hey. Nice to be podcasting.
0: Yeah, that's good uh, Good to have you on. I first
1: mean, time podcast.
0: Yeah, I know. We'll see what the first time host. We, uh...
1: <laughs> we could have rehearsed it or something, you know, Yeah. But, you know, let's go for it.
0: Yeah, I know <laughs> we've had a lot of talks, you know, if, on the phone it's easy for us to talk for like an hour. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, here we here we go. But yeah, why don't, I mean, I think this episode would be, you know, kind of the goal of the podcast. Like I want to make something where, uh, maybe like when I was starting out as like a principal, like something where we kind of go more like deeper into how to do the deals, kind of more stuff, like more than you would have picked up in the book. Okay. Um, you know, so we'll, I'll, you know, we'll get into like, I'll ask you some stuff about how like brokers look at owners later maybe. Okay. But, um, I think more so like also this episode would be great. Anyone who's you know, broker starting out. I mean, they'd love to hear what you're doing. Obviously, $500 million in sales is a ton. So let's uh, maybe start from the beginning in terms of career-wise or how you got here.
1: So um, I grew up in Iowa. I went to Iowa. Um, I graduated college in 2009. Um, Great, perfect economy to uh, graduate. Are we we swearing okay? I I made it like Three oh seconds yeah. Into my first answer. Okay, it. so not a good, not a good job market. I thought I wanted to get into medical sales for some reason. I, it seemed like a way to be successful in a sales career. Yeah. I figured my personality was suited for sales, so whatever. Those are the type of jobs that I was going for. Um, and I applied to all these medical sales jobs that you said you required, you know, five years experience or whatever, and. Didn't get yeah. any interviews, yeah. like no, like not even like an email back, like, thanks for sending the resume. Yeah. Um, and I applied for an account manager position, which is like a step down for a small Chicago based company. And I was still in Iowa at the time and um, I got an interview and i are like, can you be here tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't even have a yeah. suit at that point. I bought like this really ugly suit from, uh, like pleats probably yeah i don't remember like. Right. like it's been burnt yeah. I, it's not even it wasn't even one that i donated i don't think it yeah. just <laughs> went into the garbage yeah the first um, i think like three or four suits I bought, they had pleated pants <laughs> like, this will be a good idea i'm sitting down a lot let's uh let's i think that. the guy probably i probably came into the interview and he's like this guy is gonna be really cheap to hire you know okay. look at this suit yeah. you know he's got no <laughs> chance um so he so i interviewed with the ceo the next day nice um, and he offered me a job and it was like $16 an hour, so much money. And made. then what was the actual job though? So it was an account manager is what they said, but it was like, it's a small company and it was, um uh, they sold hospital beds. Okay. So it, but a lot of it was, we we're setting up the sales reps. We we're setting up, um, like leasing agreements cause they were selling specialty hospital beds, like bariatric beds for obese patients or, you know, I won't go into the whole thing, but, um,
0: but then, as the account manager,
1: you so were as the doing account the manager, or? I was like the I was like the kind of midpoint between the delivery guys and oh, the service technicians, and the sales reps. Yeah. So I was like always at this. I was always at the hospitals, making sure the nurses were happy with the product, the doctors were happy with the product, and it was a good role because like I I got a lot of intel from them, kind of being there just to check on the equipment, not in a sales yeah. role, um, and I. I worked hard, like I was excited to have a job. Yeah. I didn't really have anything else going. Um, my girlfriend, you know, now wife, ended up in grad school in Chicago. So that kind of oh, worked nice. out and um, it was a good job. And I worked directly under the CEO. He was a, he was a salesman. Like, yeah, I, in hindsight, I learned a ton about sales from him. Yeah. Um, and so he saw quickly that I was working hard. And he's like, he made me a sales rep after like, I don't know six months or nine months. So the lesson was, I was glad that I didn't waste any more time applying for these jobs that I was not qualified for. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And instead I took, you know, I took my medicine, I made like no money and just proved myself. I worked my way up and I got the sales rep role. And at the time, this is, uh, you know, cut me off if this is going too long, but he got this this license to do, uh, to sell this bed that like stood up. So the idea was, uh, to create like early ambulation in uh, very sick patients after a big so disease or like, whatever, had a unique product. So then, we had a unique product, and I was going around and helping with the pitches for that product. So in most of the times, when we were a small company. We didn't have these existing agreements with like Northwestern or the big hospitals. So we were trying to get the physicians behind the product and have them kind of like pull oh, it okay. through the hospital chain because yeah. it wasn't like we were getting an RFP from the hospital system and so I was calling on doctors and then I was giving a pitch and it was always funny because they'd like agree to me and they'd be like, sure, bring, you know, bring lunch for our staff okay. or whatever. And I'd be like, I got a bed to bring. Yeah. And they're like, got a, what are you bringing a bed for? I'm yeah. like, So I'd meet him like at the loading dock instead. I'd have him come. Um, and so <laughs> that was a bigger tangent than I intended, but um, I just didn't, it was a good job. I was being recognized for doing a good job and it was just something missing. Like I just, you know, I I knew at that point it was like, it would have been a good job for another year, it would have been a good job for another five years, whatever, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, And I guess real estate seemed like kind of a common thread across like some successful people that I knew. And I talked to my uncle who fit that bill and he was in Denver and he owns and operates um, a pretty big management company there and he was a broker at first. So it's like, you'd be a broker, you're a pretty personable guy, like you're working hard, be a pretty good role for you. I was like, I don't know much about being a broker. I don't know anything about like real estate period. Um, And he's like, well, I started at Marcus and Millchap. If you think that you might want to do something different, that'd be a good place to, learn it'd be a good you know they've got a good system in place i know some guys there um so i could introduce you to the guy from chicago and um and you did or where do you so i did yeah i I met that was i don't know if it was my first like i was talking to some other people who were in commercial real estate um and but marcus and Milchap was really the first and only place i like went in and interviewed and went through the the thing yeah i forget the whole process i know they give you like a personality test um because I remember doing that and being totally unconfident in all my answers. Like, is this what they want me to fill out? Or yeah. Not? <laughs> it was like, okay, so um, you're like in your head about. I was those- so yeah, and then I they have you the way that they're set up, and the way that I think most like entry brokerage roles are set up is you. It's like a mentor mentee relationship. So they had three guys at the time who were interviewing for um, like junior guys. Yeah. And I talked to um, two guys who were really nice, you know, still in the business, still successful, and then a guy Jamie Clow, who um, ended up being my mentor. Oh, nice. And the, I remember in that he he just came to this like interview or meeting or whatever you're gonna call it. He like brought maps in. He's very energetic. He had like a business plan kind of already that I could see myself fitting into. You know, he yeah. had thought about onboarding somebody like me, and. Um, he and the manager hired me and that was how i got started
0: nice yeah that's that and so yeah and then so you were working kind of with him on either deals he had or uh so like, kind of
1: they had like two paths one path was they call the sales internship program which is like you make kind of a nominal salary and it's a slower ramp up um and it, i think that it's like maybe a year or two year commitment, whatever. Yeah. And then the path that I took was just, you start as a broker, zero salary, you eat what you kill, you figure out a particular market to canvas and work in, and they yeah. kind of train you and like, here's the phone.
0: And then you know, now, was that different than the medical sales you were doing? Or was there some sort of base um, pay or any sort of?
1: Yeah, so it totally. Different. So like, change, I made a good living okay. in medical sales. Like yeah. I was it more more money than I needed to live the lifestyle I was living at that point. Yeah. And relative to like friends and what they're doing and stuff, I was comfortable, yeah. <laughs> we comfortable going on the same vacations and, yeah. you know. Um, okay. So we're going to change all that now. We're going to Screeching go, hole. Yeah. And, you know, my wife and I at that point, you know, again, she's my girlfriend then like, but at that point we we're seeing each other in, you know, we're like talking about getting married yeah. and stuff and i'm like well i'm gonna make no money for a while. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh i mean to her credit she was super supportive and she's like well you have to do what you want to do yeah. you know and i and i knew i had no kids i had no mortgage like you know and i like i wanted to be an entrepreneur that's yeah. what i thought i wanted to do forever and this seemed pretty entrepreneurial yeah very much um so it's like i got to go for it yeah. and then once you start it, like how you not you know how you not going to give it your all i lived right. like a half a block from the office i'd work i worked really hard during the day i'd come back like after dinner we had nothing else yeah. really going on and so it was it was all in and right. when you're making no money i figured okay they kind of tell you like the first year you're not going to make as much as you want you know it takes a few months to close your first deal whatever i mean the, the sales cycle of a real estate deal is a few months anyway right. so like assuming you get a listing day yeah. one it's a right. few months out, right? Um, which you don't. So um, I knew that, but I also figured, okay, they, they tell you some arbitrary amount of time that it's gonna take, but if I just work two or three extra yeah. hours a day, yeah, we shorten the time. And then yeah. I also figured it would like, you know, it compounds too. When you're active, like the yeah. activity compounds. Um, so I just, I ramped up pretty quick.
0: Nice. Okay. So then from, so you start out in brokerage and then, uh, like from what period of time from starting to when did you get either your first listing or your first, uh, active buyer? What was, what would you say?
1: Yeah. So, um, it was, I was at the, it was six months to the closing. So I'll work backwards. That's the period of time I remember now. So I'll work backwards. I think, um, my first deal, was it took about three months to get listed. I marketed it for a month and it closed in 60 days. Nice. Um, I mean, I think that's fast, honestly. What, so then that, that, uh, seller, how did
0: you, you know, take me yeah, through that? Cause was, some of these things, some of even my <laughs> early deals, I'm like, wow, this is like actually happening or this yeah. guy's going to send in a half million dollars, like really? Like, yeah. and then I've had a, a bunch of those too. So what's the, uh, so I
1: think it's still, I think it might be the smallest deal I've ever sold. Um, it was, At the time, so this was in 2011 was when I started in real estate. And at that time, it was much easier to get listings because there was low sale velocity. The market had kind of gotten like it was over brokered. And then a lot of folks got weeded out in the financial crisis. So I feel like in terms of young, energetic, enthusiastic brokers starting, um, I feel like I was able to get ramped up, so I was able to get listings because there wasn't as much competition. There weren't as many people calling oh, you. as there there are today? So, this the first deal was a deal that was a nine-unit building, in, on the northwest side of the city in Belmont Cragen. It was a it was an expired deal. It, somebody oh, okay. else had listed it, like on I, the MLS. Yeah, or yeah but I the... didn't know that. That wasn't like Australia I wasn't like okay. yeah, I wasn't like trying to go after those, but it. Um, I, when I was researching it a little bit before the call, I noticed it had been on the market. So um, it was Andrew and Maria Stopka, a Polish couple. Okay, nice. And I called them and I knew that they had, at that point, I looked it up online, I knew that they had some interest in selling. So it's pretty direct. Yeah. And I just said, like, you know, are you interested in selling the building still? And, um, there was a little bit of a language barrier, but the answer was yes. And I was like, all right, well, can I meet you tomorrow? And he's like, you know, a little bit of a language barrier. He's like, yeah, I was okay, like, "All right, nice. cool. So I went and met with them and um, I brought Jamie, <clears throat> excuse me. I brought Jamie, who's my business partner. And but he was really good, even at the beginning of letting me go. For oh, it, nice. Which is not something I'm great at. I kind of when I'm brought to a meeting, I have a hard time shutting up and letting the person learn with, from their mistakes and stuff. Jamie really let me do it and and we we're in the dining room table in their house. And Andrew was there and Maria was there. And Maria didn't speak any um, English. Yeah. So and she I'm sure she's a very sweet lady, but I would say something. And Andrew was like really patient and would like nod his head. And his wife would like kind of like bark something in Polish at him <laughs> to tell me. Yeah. And then he would translate it like very calm and very. And oh, I was like, I don't think that's what she said, really. At least it's yeah. not the inflection. So. They hired me like then, I you know, yeah, it was like before DocuSign. So every time you went to a meeting, you brought listing yeah. agreement. It was just like, yeah, it's the best to actually get a signature yeah. as opposed to like an electronic signature. And um, hired me then. I marketed it and I called. <laughs> it's a longer answer than no, I thought this, I was going to give. this is good. So I called a guy who now is the guy that i've done more business with than anybody in my career i called his business partner's wife at home okay and nice. she's like what are you doing calling the house i'm like there's a phone number i had for him i'm sorry what's the better number to reach met and she's like here's his number i called him he's like uh what is it yeah okay sure i'll come look at it nice and looked at it wrote an offer um and it was an incredibly smooth deal nice hardly inspect he knew he was buying a good deal it's probably worth today it's probably worth you know three times what i sold it to him for then. wow and um, afterwards, Jamie's like, "Good job. Don't get used to it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that. And then the next deal, um, and I'll stop talking. The next deal was a total like train wreck. The total yeah. opposite. Like learned, I feel like more about their business than I yeah. ever learned. So
0: okay. So then, when you brought that, when they pulled the contract out, then and we got to uh, we you got you got the contract in front of them. What? When they went to fill it out, are you looking at Jamie going, wait, what, how do we uh, <laughs> fill this out? Or what's yeah, the- like, well, the good thing
1: about Marks and Milchap <laughs> is they did a, you know, they like, we would gone through the listing agreement okay. paragraph by paragraph. So I probably knew a listing agreement as well then as I do yeah. now.
0: We might just start forgetting it, though. Like, yeah. Okay, actually, wait, we're doing this. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, you ready January. to sell it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, um, so, you yeah, know, it's pretty, like, it, pretty basic. But. I remember like I did it the right way. Like, yeah, yeah. I sat there. I talked him through every paragraph. This is what this means this is what this means this is what this means they Had a few questions. We made a couple like nominal changes. And yeah, he's a really nice guy. Nice. I also remember it's funny I grabbed the pen. Like I remember at the closing, he's like they didn't think that they could sell the building because these buildings were just not as liquid then. Like, yeah. there weren't as many buyers well, for, for sure. it. I had to make like thousands of calls to get the buyers in the door. Yeah. So it's way easier to get the listings. It's really hard to sell them.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember those days and, I'd get sent to 8-Cap and I'd be like, wait, what? Oh, <laughs> such a crazy eight number. 8-Cap with yeah. run upside Yeah.
1: <laughs> and um, so we, uh, back then we also went to the closing. Yeah. And I remember being really excited for the closing and the closing happened and I was like, that's it? Like, yeah. there was, you know, this is very like anticlimactic yeah. when you're there.
0: Um, but it's even less anticlimactic now with how closing going. Totally. It's so
1: sterile and like it's not, I don't know, unless you have a like a hyped group, it's just kind yeah. of like boring, right? And, um, he goes, Andrew's like, good job, Joe. And he gives me a pen. <laughs> so it's like Stopka accounting on it. Okay. <laughs> like a uh, pen yeah. just like this. Yeah. And he's like, here you go. You uh, know, like the little yeah. closing gift and okay. I had it in my, I don't know where it is now. I, I'm sure I didn't throw it away. Yeah. But I oh. always remember looking at like the stopka accounting pen that made me like kind of smile. Every yeah.
0: Time. Nice. Yeah. So then let's say, so like to bring it to today. So you're, um, so you're going to call an owner i mean like what's going through your through your head now i mean so that you know the initial call you're just yeah. probably hoping to get somebody on the phone but now uh and i guess too we could back up if there's other stories between now and then you want to go through i mean i think people love those deal stories so i mean i, I don't want
1: to cut up. you off yeah <laughs> yeah um i guess in terms of what's going through my head I, now more than back then i have a I end up having more of a purpose for every call, you know, back then you have a reason for calling like that was part of the steps that they gave you in training, like have an interest generator, have a reason for calling, you know, ask open ended questions, listen for windows of opportunity. Right. So I still try to remember those things and I still try to practice those on the phone because I think that it's really powerful in any conversation that you have in this business. But I feel like now when I'm making calls, um, It's usually a more specific reason Um, usually calling you with the deal or calling somebody because I'm I just sold something in a particular market and I'm proud of the data points and want to let them know about the metrics of the deal and hope that they're interested or you know in looking at the value or interested in selling at some point so um, I guess I'm thinking about how I can be a resource for that person that I'm calling you know it's. I think the worst way to start a phone call as a broker is to say, "I wanted to tell you this." Like, (laughs) you know, like I think you really feel like, "How am I going to add value to to Drew when I'm calling you? Is it to extend information about a deal and keep you apprised? Was it to give you a a, you know an off market or a listed deal that I think might be of interest to you? It's not about what I want in the call. It's about making sure that they know." Like anymore, I mean, you see who's calling you right away. You see a right. potential spam or whatever, and or you see Joe Smazel. It's like, do you want to pick up the phone or do you not want to pick yeah. up the phone? And if you, I just keep telling you shit that you you're not that interested in hearing about, you're not going to pick up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> if when I call you, I add some sort of value, you pick up the yeah. phone, and another day, we, you know, we talk for forty-five minutes, right? Yeah. So, um, I guess it's about what do they want from me, you know, because that's what my job's about.
0: Yeah, there is actually even a worse way to start the call than the what's that? I you want, want to, to sell tell you something. Yeah, because <laughs> I still do get people call me out like, hey, what's uh, what's going on, you got anything you want me to sell? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or or do they have a deal that uh, I know this? You know, has nothing to do with your business strategy at all, but I got this deal I <laughs> want to show you. You know, because they don't it's they that, don't know your plan.
1: So it's, it's like the calls like this. So I think it's harder. It was funny where we you know we we're talking before this. Like it's it's harder than ever I think to market. Yeah, you know I think between. There's a lot of brokers. Out for this is talking about me. Um, there's a lot of brokers in the business. There's a lot of brokers calling you and calling other buyers. So, I think the phone call is harder to make a cold call. Um, I think it's still the best way to yeah. prospect and get, you know, a real connection with somebody and have a chance to answer their questions. And but I think like even emails. I get so many like spam emails anymore. I unsubscribe to everything, but I'm getting so many emails every day that I. Yeah. I feel like that's diluted. So you know, thinking about new ways to engage you know, consumers or potential customers of yours is, uh, is probably more challenging than it was. But. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, we're getting, I mean, literally hundreds of emails a day now of like deals and some of them, I haven't done this yet, but some people here, they've set up these like filters in there or some term in Outlook that's not filter, but a rule. A yeah, rule. yeah. And so then like, if it comes from RCM or something, just put it in the RCM folder, you know, and then they'll get to it later, but it's like, it's not, uh, it's not what it once was.
1: Well, I think I do a little bit of that. Like I I, um, I think filtering email and like kind of blocking time to respond to emails is a pretty powerful like time management tool. Yeah, like if I I used to check my emails, I mean, I still check my emails real time. But i used to like stop what i'm doing and respond to like everything at that time yeah which i think you know a lot of times i go then you just respond right away you don't give it much thought so sometimes you if it's something that you do have to be constructive about like the answer is not always as good the response isn't as good but also it's just a time suck like it would take me away from whatever i was trying to focus on doing making calls or underwriting a deal or you know whatever and so anything that is not anything that can either wait or isn't like a one sentence or one, you know, couple word answer. I just flag an outlook. And then I go back a few times a day to everything that's flagged and like sit and work through it and like actually, you know, spend some time answering it.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's a nice, nice way to do it where you're not just stopping and starting and can't get any sort of workflow going. But actually then just to back up to kind of what we're talking about with like calling owners. I mean, there might be some newer brokers, you know, watching or listening to this. So then like, So what are you doing before the call? So you, you know, any sort of prep or you look into what they're doing? I mean, a little
1: bit, you know, I I think, well, okay, so that's not a real fair answer. Like I, I, I think I know my clients pretty well at this point and I know the market really well. So I'm tracking every deal that's sold. I'm tracking every listing that my competitor has. So I, you know, when I was starting, like I didn't have that knowledge base to work from, but now it's just. It's just what I know. So I don't have to sit there and like study something before yeah. a call. But in general, I'm not really like prepping for a call. If I have some if I have to talk to something somebody about something, I pick up the phone and I call them and I don't waste time getting there yeah. and you know, ask direct questions, listen to what they have to say. Um, but I you know, I think that it's a little bit of a you know, talking about a time suck, I think it's a little bit of a time suck like trying to learn every little thing about them or their portfolio. Know what you need to know, know what's relevant. Yeah. And then get on the phone <clears> and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. And at the beginning, when I was starting, so I think maybe it was the purpose of the question is like, when I was starting, in terms of what I knew or wanted to know about the client, was actually a lot less. Like, because I would kind of oh, psych myself out. It's like, oh, okay. What do they want to talk to me about? Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything. Okay. Like, look at that portfolio. Like, got it. They must be so rich, you know? So then you, I was just like, there was a little bit of like, there was a the right amount of knowledge to be dangerous on the call. And then after a certain point, it was like, it was, it was too much info. Yeah. Just like, I call. was just better off just making the call and not psyching myself out and wondering if I'm a good enough broker to, to call them and get them to meet me or whatever. That's
0: interesting. I would have, I would actually thought there's was, yeah, we do all this research ahead of time. I read through their LinkedIn or website. I mean, I get it by the time you're done doing that, you're going to make us a couple calls where yeah. I know I think one time I asked you how many calls sometimes you make in a day when you're really getting after it and it's a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, when we were starting, the, the average was, <clears throat> excuse me, the average was the goal is 50 calls a day. You have 10 to 12, we call like, uh, what do we call them? I don't know, warm contacts or something yeah. like that. So it's not like you're calling somebody and there's, you know, telling you to jump in a lake and hanging up, or you're not calling somebody that you talk to all the time. This is like a new engagement with somebody. Yeah. And so the goal is 50, 10 to 12 set one meeting a day so for every 50 that we called you know i mean you are you have to add them to the database you have to research the phone number or sometimes you have to go to the building look at what the sign is on the side of the building like it's you know it's it's a time yeah. intensive process so if you studied each person yeah you wouldn't spend enough time you know putting stuff into the front of the pipeline you wouldn't spend enough time on the phone so there was a balance from being from educating yourself and not overdoing it, yeah. you know, because you didn't want to just be a databaser. Right. You know, you didn't want to spend the whole day building the database and never get into and yeah, potatoes of or why we make a living. So um, a little bit of knowledge is kind of the.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but now I think I pretty much know, you know, everybody that's transacting in my space and as my job, if somebody's new entering the market and they close the deal. I want to educate myself on who they are, what they're doing, but to do that, I think the best way to do it is pick up the phone, call them and ask some questions. Yeah. You know, and now I have the confidence to do that because I, I know that I'm going to be a resource for them if they are actively interested in expanding their portfolio here. Right. So, you know, I'll call and say, hey, congrats on the acquisition. What's the next one? What are you looking for? What, what are your goals here in the Chicago market? And how can I help? You know, and that's a pretty easy call to make.
0: So you make that first call. They tell you what they're looking for in terms of a deal. Then what, what do you do from there?
1: So from there, I, I would see whether I have the inventory or not. You know, if I have the inventory right now and it's a listing or it's in Tara's listing, you know, that's the best way to start. I feel like when a a buyer is entering in a market, they usually want to see more versus less for deal flow. Yeah. So um, I'll start getting deals in front of them and it might. Yeah, you want to listen to what they're saying, but. There might be reasons why you're selling it to them or sending it to them, and it's not an absolutely perfect fit, but there's enough that matches the criteria that they describe that you think that it's worth the deal flow and the conversation around it. Um, If you don't have it, then I usually track like buyer needs so that when it comes up, I've got kind of the pool of buyers ready to go. Um, But my business in general is not chasing inventory for buyers. It's much more about controlling the inventory and then creating the marketplace around it. Yeah. So I'm really focused on having the deal flow on the inventory side versus going out and like kind of ambulance chasing every buyer that tells me what they want and sitting there and calling cold calling buyer or cold calling sellers and saying, I have a buyer that's looking for something like, you know, especially when a situation that you described, it's like, until we've worked through a few deals together, like I don't have the trust to go out and bird dog off market stuff for somebody that I don't know that I I don't trust because, um, you know, you get those calls. You know, I've known you for ten years. Like we've right. closed deals together. Like that's somebody that is the first time I talk to them, Like, you know, I, I'd love to show you my listings. I'd love to show you my colleagues' listings, but you have to earn the trust. To get yeah. like the off-market deal flow because it's just a it's a totally different um, it's a totally different level of trust required. Yeah.
0: Right. So then, really, what you're doing your 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 strategy is a listing. You yeah. Know, a list. Yeah. Yeah. I heard one person is some a different another broker who's in California called it a listings business.
1: Yeah. It is. It is a listing business because when I have a listing, I create a top buyers list, I put together the marketing materials, and the e blast goes out to ten thousand principal buyers. I've got the top buyers list where I'm directly calling and pitching the deal to all of them. I'm making a presentation of the office. There's a lot of other activity that comes from that listing, right? And then you sell it and you get on the phone and you tell everybody about how much activity you had. And you send out the e-blast that said we had 30 tours and 10 offers or whatever it is. And so that, you know, the, like the, the deals have babies, you know, like for every listing you want to get, you know, two proposals out of it or yeah. whatever so that you're kind of feeding the pipeline again. If you're just chasing inventory for buyers, it's more like a you might you might hit some pops, you know, you might get some deals from it, but there it's not a it's not a business. Yeah. You know, I think about this as a, this is a business. Like brokerage is not my job. It, it's my job and my career, right? But I think of it much more as a business than a job.
0: Right. Yeah, and the, so in the you need the inventory to sell. So yeah. I mean, that's why it's yeah. calling inventory.
1: You're as good as your next deal, I guess. Yeah. You know, sometimes you sell one. You're so busy, you've got a full pipeline of inventory, and then you sell it all. Yeah. And you're focused on getting everything across the finish line, and you're like, I mean, every day is you know you're busy from yeah eight to eight or whatever, and then you get those deals done, and you know you smile a little bit when it's first closed, and then you're like, oh shit, you know, I just like sold myself yeah. off a job, right? Yeah. <laughs> like no, I've I just like fired that, myself. It's yeah. closed, you know? So if you're not focusing on kind of feeding the front of the pipeline while you have, yeah, uh, you know, while you have stuff going, um, it can go that way. Yeah. And then it's like nobody wants to talk to me if I'm not doing a bunch of deals. Yeah. Like, you know, my phone gets pretty quiet if I'm not active. Yeah. So um, I, that's a it's a tough part about the business. But it's something I try to like I try to remind myself to stay Really busy on the fundamentals. Stay busy on having proposals in the pipeline at all times, and listing in the pipelines at all times. Because I don't want to hit like a yeah. It gets a lot harder when it stops. Right? Yeah, you gotta start from scratch.
0: Get a couple. Get you know, close your deals, and then you're just. Yeah. What's next? Yeah, yeah. totally. Try to avoid that. And what what can uh, buyers do then? Or you know, because I get you were talking through like you know, sometimes they'll you call maybe for some owners or uh, I guess. What what can buyers do? Maybe not for the off market stuff, but just even let's say a property is listed. I mean, how can uh, like buyers set themselves apart?
1: I think being honest <laughs> is a really yeah. good start. And if I say if we talk, you know, you're a buyer that just came to the market and you say, hey, I just bought this twenty five million dollar deal. And I call you and I say, what else are you looking for here? The First right. step would be tell me what you're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> um, because I think that uh, you know, being honest and being transparent about your acquisition criteria, you know, our, our interests are aligned. You want more inventory. If assuming you're interested in expanding a submarket, market, you want more inventory and I want to know what you're looking for. So, um, tell me what it is. And then if I send you a deal, um, tell me what you think of it. Yeah you know, and, and don't just say, hey, let's go see it. You know, this is great if, if it's not right. Yeah, um, if you want to see it and if you think that it checks enough boxes that it's worth looking at, great. It's a good way to start getting a feel. And so I can kind of tailor what I send you. Um, but until that point, I just I like I like to hear from the person. Give me a little feedback on what missed the mark about it for you. Tell me what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it. And then the next deal, if I'm doing my job and listening, there's more that you like about yeah. it, unless you don't like about yeah. it, right? Um, and from there, I, I think it's about being honest with somebody. And um, when they're when I'm getting deals in front of you, that you know, at a certain point, I'll say, okay, you've been, I've got this off market lead, and I feel like I can trust you enough because you've been straight with me. And here's what it is, you know, I don't have a listing agreement, I don't have a sign, I don't have protection from the seller but i feel like i can trust you that we can look at this together and that's where we're at now right is that's where i can call you and i know that if it's something that you like we'll look at it together and yeah i don't get screwed okay so then as the
0: buyer i mean the way to really kind of set yourself apart i mean and at least while we're looking for deals trying to source things it's you know truthfully honestly kind of describe what you're looking for yeah for and like specifically i'd imagine not some sort of vague strategy yeah. like was anything between
1: one and ten yeah, million dollars. For a deal. Yeah, right. like that. Thank if you. someone says that, that doesn't doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think puts put specificity behind it. I think the best way to be specific about your acquisition criteria is to give deal stories. You know, yeah. hey, here's here's what I just bought, and here's what I liked about it. Here's what drove me to the acquisition. Um, here were a couple of things I wasn't as wild about in the deal. I mean, you can go that far. Yeah. Um, and then that's why I think as a broker, I think that's when it's most constructive to actually get more deals in front of you that we can talk through a specific example here's what i like here's what i don't like right. and we'll go from there
0: yeah especially i mean buyers they could think of things to tell you but then they don't they forget oh wait actually i want to buy like newer properties and you send an older one then they then they tell you that and that's kind of what you'd want yeah. in terms of feedback instead. yeah, uh, otherwise you're getting no feedback we're not really sure what they're
1: they're looking for um you would not believe how many buyers will, will just tell me like hey i want something i can add some value to Okay. Like really sophisticated, and that's like it. Yeah. Like really sophisticated buyers or, you know, seemingly sophisticated buyers. Yeah. I uh, like something I can add some value to.
0: Makes sense. But, yeah, where, Just like, and then how it. do you want to add the value? Yeah, I mean, just, yeah.
1: you know, give me another 30 seconds and be specific about it, and you're going to get a lot, you're going to see a lot better yeah. deal flow from me.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that answer, too, though, as a buyer, that's coming from, well, okay, we will look in a lot of areas, or, and we'll do different value add strategies because, I mean, like, We've done rehabs. We've done just lease up deals. We've done yeah. deals where just the rents were low and could just push them, or things we've just bought cheaply. So, like, I mean, I'd do any of those, so, you know. I, right, and so you
1: spent another thirty seconds telling me about or, three deals yeah. that you did and and how they had different value add components and how you identified them. And okay, yeah, or even just you know put some more parameters around it on size and geography, and I, I think the the more that you can you should want to leave me as the broker if you know you're asking what you can do as a buyer you would want to leave me as the broker with a clear picture in my head about what I'm looking for for you yeah because then when I have it or when I see it you come to mind yeah you know and I think without that picture in mind it's like you're gonna get it's gonna take a little bit more back and forth for us to arrive at a deal that makes sense you also would not believe how many buyers just don't respond you know and it's fine. I mean, I don't expect buyers principals to respond to like every broker that's calling them or sending them a deal. You'd have no time left in the day. Yeah. right? But if it's somebody that you think is going to be a good conduit to an inventory in a market, respond really quickly. Two sentences. Here's what I don't like about it, you know, because yeah. then the next email is going to be a lot more polished. We're going to get a lot closer to what you're looking for. Right. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, it makes sense. It's interesting as a buyer, how many like contacts I get a day where it's uh, like, I think it definitely makes sense to be calling, you know, build a relationship. But it's interesting. We're like, for me, if I get sent a deal, like, and it's in an email, I always look at it. Yeah. But I don't, if someone calls and then they're trying to explain over the phone, it's like, well, I just would like to see it to go back on like how buyers can set themselves apart. So that's maybe how you could get, uh, you know, some off market deal flow. But then what about just, I'm you're I'm a buyer, I'm going to bid on a marketed deal. Mm -hmm. Like what, what are some ways to set myself apart from other buyers?
1: um that's a good question you know so we'll start your you've obviously toured the property already you came you underwrote it we gave you the front end kind of buyer data room stuff to further vet your interest so but a lot of people submit sight unseen it's like yeah all right so if you're not willing you know even if you're from out of market yeah if you're gonna that's... buy a 10 million dollar asset that i'm selling and you're not gonna hop on a southwest flight and spend half your day to come tour it yeah Are you interested in it? You know, so it doesn't um, it doesn't happen a ton, but it happens sometimes. And it's just a big like in our business, you know, multifamily real estate in Chicago is is tangible. You have to see it. And so um, that would be a big ding. Yeah. You know, so um, if you're bidding in in the scenario you described, you're bidding on a listed deal that I'm marketing that's competitive. Um, Acknowledge that you've toured the property and feel like you have a good understanding of its condition. Acknowledge that you've vetted the buyer data room stuff. Clearly outline your qualifications. Um, So biggest things that I wanna know that I'm gonna communicate to the seller are um, track record, what you've sold, source of debt and equity. And then I like to know how your process looks.
0: You know, how do you go
1: about it? How do you, what does your due diligence process look like? What is your financing? Do you have the funds raised on the equity side or are you gonna go out and raise them? And there's not right and wrong things about these things. But if I know, then I can communicate that to the seller and that's what you want. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect the broker to sell you as the buyer as well as you'll sell you. Yeah. So if I'm going to submit an offer on a deal, I want to make it like forward friendly. So I just send it to you. So the broker gets it like that's polished. Yeah. Forward it on to the client or the seller. And they understand who that they're potentially doing business with. Yeah. So then um,
0: even so then if you'd recommend even then, so buyer writes it up, it's almost like a cover letter type thing.
1: Cover letter. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's well worth the 15 minutes just by yeah. doing it. And again, if it's not something that a buyer is willing to do for a deal, how into the real estate are they? You know, yeah. what's it going to take to throw a deal? It's not going to take much to throw a deal off at that point if they haven't come and toured it or if they haven't, or if they're giving me cagey answers. So a lot of times I don't get that forward friendly like presentation of an offer, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's fine, you know, because I'm doing my job and I want to go back and I want to vet their interest too. Um, so I go and ask some questions and it's like, I get quick, like kind of cagey answers to have the money raised. Yeah. What does diligence look like? Have you reviewed the books and records that I already sent you? Like those, there's just a lot of red flags that can come up along the way. Yeah. So. There's a real differentiation between somebody that submits a real polished package, offer package, versus somebody that's like half-assed everything. And yeah. Then I gotta go pry for info, and it, you know, it seems like, eh, maybe this isn't the case. Probably like when you yeah. get a suspicious like um, application for a tenant. You know, it's like oh, is sure, it, right. I don't know. Is this tenant, like the income verification seems a little off. It's not matching. The credit's not that yeah. great. <laughs> it's the same yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, we have a, a, a cover letter that we use, on all. You know, we have a a bunch of different templates, I guess, depending on what kind of deal it is, commercial or uh, condo deconversion. We we have it because it's easy. You know, you write it once and you just kind of dust it off. So we've got one for vintage buildings, one for condo deconversions. It's just because you wrote it once and then you just go find it. So it's really like it's not too hard for the buyer to put together. That's why. Yeah. And then and giving- you can
1: also, sorry, i interrupt you real quick. Like you could also go a step further and offer to meet them, offer to meet the seller okay, offer nice. to have an interview. You know, if, if they want if they have any questions that they'd like to hear directly from you as the buyer, you know, a broker will typically offer that to a seller. Yeah. If it's competitive and there's a few that it's really hard from the numbers on the page to distinguish who to pick. Like it's it's yeah. pretty common that we'll have interviews, not the right word, but it, you know, it's kind yeah. of an interview. It's kind of like a meeting, you yeah. know, a meeting or a quick call. So the seller has a chance to ask their questions, hear it from you, and not from me. It's a yeah. very powerful thing. And so if you offer that, it just shows another level of confidence that you're going to perform. That you're going to just say what you're you're going to do. What you're going to say, and um, I think that that's another step that could really differentiate a buyer versus our typical competition.
0: Yeah. Nice. Great. Well, yeah. Maybe switching gears a little. Like I know we we started talking about routines. You know, when we were on the on the phone last week, <laughs> but like. Um, you know, one thing that I'll say that's interesting, maybe between, uh, I was thinking about after that talk, like yeah. between maybe my role and yours, like I get a lot of inbound stuff, you know, yeah. I'm the person getting called. Also I have, you know, 20 some properties, like there's stuff happening in each property, yeah. um, employees that come to you with things. So then, uh, you know, I'd imagine, especially starting out as a broker too, like you need, there's uh, some sort of structure maybe would help where, You gotta have because you're starting to get into it when you're talking about with the uh, email time blocking. But what do you have? Any sort of either like uh, structure? Let's say start with the work day. Any sort of structure? I'm a big, I'm a big
1: routine guy. Okay. Um, and so it starts like the good days start with exercise. I have two kids, so I need to like wake up before my kids and get some coffee and like get my head on my shoulders a little bit before like you know the craziness starts. yeah and what so, kind of
0: what kind of stuff you do um like workout I mean
1: it go for a run or lift weights or you know yeah. do a, you know the the um, COVID thing was like at the peloton you know so yeah. nothing okay. like nothing exciting but enough to enough to have a little state change yeah you know, I don't it kind of primes my day and do you do that every day uh pretty much yeah. I mean, like, and I say pretty much like, yeah, I, I do it. Yeah. yeah. Not on the, I mean, sometimes on the weekends, if I feel like I got to clear my head, but something, yeah. you know, even like I did a, you know, little like yoga video thing the other day, yeah, <laughs> you nice. know, it's like just something, something to, um, something to get ready for the day. And it's more mental than physical at this point. Although like I, you know my body feels like it needs a little bit more maintenance yeah. these days but um, yeah it's
0: interesting because i i've never had any sort of workout routine until like real recently i got a trainer yeah. and then it's it's funny I, I try to always work out in the mornings because that the days i work out in the mornings with him i'm like so alert the rest of the day <laughs> yeah so i could see why uh you do that every day when i the get I, in i'm ready to go yeah
1: you know and it's also like in the morning it's easier for me to control the time in yeah the, in the evening you know sometimes I leave later than I intend to and then I want to you know get home yeah. and spend some quality time with the kids I don't want to be like hey I gotta you know I'm gonna go work out for right. minute, 45 minutes or whatever so that's the way it starts I then I'd spend some time with kids I have two boys get into work and the first thing before like replying to emails I, I got the iPad out and I do to-do list for the day so Goodness. that when I do the to-do list for the day I just have my pipeline open and my to-do list on just like the notes app, yeah. Like the Apple and notes like, at. what
0: what time of day are we talking about? So, what when's the workout? When's the?
1: I get like the I get in between eight thirty and nine o'clock, okay. like not super early. Yeah, for work. So we start yeah eight thirty nine, right in the we're... office. Yeah, no, I know nothing yeah, from yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I work a little bit from home, but I work. I should say like if I have to work on the weekends or evenings, I'll do it from home versus going okay. in. But otherwise, I'm an office guy. Yeah. I don't know how everybody's work. I don't know how everybody's working from home.
0: Yeah, not. I mean, the. I've noticed this with the people I work with. I mean, it just depends how naturally you know social they are. Let's say, you know, if you're fine just working with your office door closed and doing your thing, yeah, you'd be happy working from home. Yeah. But if you're more used to want to see the team, hit the phones. Yeah. Like that's not a person who wants to work from home. Yeah. So I. I understand why you're saying that so
1: it's eight thirty and nine in the office, assuming the day starts with office time and not right. straight to it. So let's make that assumption. then I have the pipeline open and I have my to do list on notes app and it's just a simple checklist. Um, I carry over anything that I didn't get done yesterday. There's usually like, I don't know, like 15 things on the to do list and some of them take like two minutes and some of them take like I know that I'm not going to get done for the day yeah. Like, or that I take you know four hours or something like that um so i carry over anything that i didn't accomplish the day before or i didn't finish the day before i should put and it that way and do you have like different sections of this list or is this
0: one huge list
1: it's pretty much one list i mean here it is it's like but
0: i think since we're doing this in audio why don't you just yeah. try to <laughs> no? Well, cause also, so no, because also that's thing that i yeah, realized like, yeah so yeah. it's
1: just one list i'll start a fresh one every day copy and paste whatever I didn't accomplish the day before. I'll keep my scratch notes from the day before in case I need to go back and remember a conversation I have with Drew or whatever. But it's, it's not set up where you need to like look back to prior days. You're moving it to the current yeah. day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then go through the pipeline of what I need to do on like action items for deals. Um, it's usually like, those are usually quicker things like, follow up on this make sure that this has been scheduled whatever where it takes a little bit longer is if I've got you know when when I have deals that I'm marketing and making a lot of calls about like then it's like all right make sure that we've called not only to the top buyers list make sure that we've called anybody that's bought between you know five and thirty million dollar deal on the north side of the city in the last five years new construction like there I add specificity to make sure that I've kind of checked every box and then um I got the to do list out you got the pipeline and then some of it's like business planning stuff. Some of it's like um, very high level, 10,000 foot type stuff. So I, I put the call list together and it's always like a clean desk. I never have anything from I don't believe in like leaving papers okay. out from the yeah. day before. So it's like a clean slate. And then once the list is put together, it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Start going after. Yeah. It. And I'm, I'm good at not wasting time during the day. Yeah. Because once I have that, I feel like, okay, I've got my roadmap for the day. This is it's what I'm going to do to be productive. And if I accomplish this, I'm going to leave at the end of the day and be happy with what I did. Yeah. But if I don't, like, I can't rely on inbound stuff to feel okay. like I had a productive day. I have to go out and, like, make it every day. And that's, like, it's really a, like, kind of exhausting part of the this business. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's how I've found to be like consistently productive. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates, differentiates me from my competitors is like, I feel like every day that I'm going to work, I'm yeah. going to accomplish yeah, something. I'm going to go and around. do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, how does the, the clean desk like factor in? <laughs> so, like, cause I, you I, know, mean, I personally, I, I have an a answer I guess, on that. Yeah.
1: I, um, I, yeah, I think that every day is like, I want to, I want to get there and I don't want to immediately get distracted by what I was doing yesterday. Yeah. Or I don't want to be like influenced by yesterday's headache and get there and be like, Oh, or I don't, you know, if I had a great day yesterday, I don't want to come in and be complacent because man, you know, I killed it yesterday. Like I could kind of slack today. So it's just like a way it's a way for me to come in with like a clear head and a blank slate. Um, my office is probably like a little bit like, Overly sterile and like yeah. I, I need a little bit yeah. more going on, but the desk in particular um I, I I need to have clean every day,
0: yeah, I mean that makes sense to me I mean I at least for my my house desk, whatever it is, I can think a lot more clearly when things are you yeah know, neat you know it's funny my uh you know like my desk i i I don't have it perfectly clear, but I have like a the work area is like if I had stuff just piled low over where i'm you know if I'm typing or whatever and then I'm got papers lower that would be tough. I don't, I can handle like a pile of papers in the corner or some boxes on it. I'd need the, the work area that I'd use, you know, clear though. Yeah. So that I
1: get it. Do you, uh, how do you, what, do you, what does your setup look like?
0: I mean, yeah, just in terms of the, the desk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I have a similar mindset to what you have, but then I'm not, I'm not actually like executing it well, <laughs> you know, like I want it to be clean, but then I've got, you know, probably four stacks of papers. I've got a yeah. little tower of boxes from, uh, like Uh, electronics I bought, like speaker phones and different stuff. And then, um, but I have one section, it's an L-shaped desk, one section like all the way clear, and then that's where I would put papers or have a meeting or anything. So we're not having a meeting uh, with someone across like a pile of junk, but there is on the corner of the L, like there's plenty of stuff there. So we got these standing desks, but there's not a lot of storage. So then you just end up with I got a
1: standing desk too. Do you stand often?
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially after with the mornings I'm with the trainer, I basically almost on the you brink of brink of death every every morning <laughs> so then i uh yeah i need to stand or I'd be cramping up
1: I, i'm not as good as the standing part when i got it i thought that i like needed. it i'm like i'm always going to stand up and be way more productive but what you yeah, know it's, i don't as much as i should
0: it's interesting one thing that i've noticed so like i'm sure for your business there's plenty of uh tough calls that you got to make like a uh, difficult phone calls i've noticed when i I do better with those when I'm standing. Oh, totally. Yeah. 100%. So that, that is worth the, the desk that, and then, you know, if you come in from a, a workout, you know, standing for a little bit, but especially the, we're going to have a real rough phone call here. Yeah. I, I somehow, I'm less nervous. I do better standing, or if you're sitting and just being, you know.
1: I also, um, I put the headphones in every day when I'm at my desk. So my time is about 50% out in the field, 50% at my desk. Yeah. But when I'm also getting there, so say I'm done with my to-do list, I mean, yeah, I put my you know, like AirPods or whatever. Yeah. and No, no music, but I, um, I find that I just make more calls and I do a better job. I'm like, if your if your phone's not up to yeah. your ear, you know, like it's it doesn't feel like you're on the phone as much. It sounds much more, meh, I don't know, yeah. genuine. Yeah. You know, we're sitting for in. sure. And but those I, are that's the
0: headset you make a call from. Yeah.
1: AirPods. Yeah. I um and I just keep them like I keep them in. I actually I got some different ones because AirPods kept pooping out. Well, but and they, I, I just keep them in all the time. And then I was like, yeah, I just feel like I'm always on the phone more. And I, yeah. my, a buddy of mine, Austin, um, I was talking to him one time. This was a few years ago. I was buying a computer and he was like, and I was like, yeah, I don't think I really need that. He's like, dude, you have two tools for your job. Like you yeah. have a phone and a computer. Yeah. And you get cheap about like $50 on some option. He's like, just buy a good computer. If it boots up faster every day, Yeah. it's right. worth right. it. You're right. going to have it for a few years. Or buy a good iPad, but you know, make sure yeah. all the stuff's, we have so few, like tools in the business, you might as well have stuff that is good and reliable. It's one. I mean, that should be like, but also that you like to use like that you want to be on. I mean, I'm, I want to have a new phone and it makes me want to be on the phone a little bit more. It's worth it. You know, if I have, I spend a little bit more on like headphones or something that I feel like I talk more comfortably on, like it's worth it in a week, you know? I mean, if I have a data plan on my iPad so I can send emails around when I'm going through yeah. I mean it's worth it. Like there's very few businesses like I referenced earlier that like I think about brokerage as my little business. And there's very few businesses where I'm running my own business and I it's as low overhead as yeah. this, right? Like I, I feel like I'm running my own little business within Intero Realty. And if my tools, like yeah, my setup yeah. is, like, a few electronics, yeah, there's no reason to be cheap about, like, 50 bucks on some yeah. option, you know?
0: Yeah, I've done the same thing with, with our stuff. Like, those boxes I was saying were piled up. That's the certain speaker phones we've tried because we kept making these, like, group calls off our cell phone. And then I've been on the receiving end of enough calls where the person's t- – I don't know what they're talking into, but you can barely understand them. And it's like, it's how emotions. do you, uh, yeah, make the sale or convince someone to do something or – uh, do anything where they can barely hear you. Yeah. So we, I've done the same thing with speaker phones or cameras or whatever too. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then,
1: uh, it's all like you know, it's all like a brand. You know, I, I mean, when I, it is, is, I mean, it's as stupid of a thing as saying like, when you talk to me, it's not like on a muffled yeah. speaker phone, yeah. or when I come to the building, I come, you know, looking like I should be there to sell your building and polish with you know an iPad. But yeah. it's also like. I mean i think that any high-end consumer starts with a brand right like if you're gonna go if you're gonna go buy a car like you start with a strata of particular brands that you feel like accomplish what you're looking for and then you narrow it down or you drive a few and if somebody's gonna sell an extremely valuable apartment building i want to make sure that my brand in the marketplace is consistent with what they're trying to accomplish. So that, I mean, that's, and that's everything. That's, and it's not just like how you look. I don't, I don't dress like this every day. I mean, I usually wear like a polo shirt, but I want to look professional. And, um, but it's also how I act, how my marketing materials look, my reputation, my, you know, honesty, my track record and other deal flow that you see from me. Like if you're going to sell a hundred unit asset and everything that you see from me is six to eight, units are you, are you going to hire me like right. that seems too different from what you're selling to get yeah, it makes sense so um i think about that a lot in in my business practice how i carry myself so then you're talking about you want to have your sort of personal
0: brand mm-hmm. uh you know look like the the buildings you want to sell um if you put is that like a, something you put a lot of thought into or
1: yeah i think about it all the time <laughs> and i wish it didn't take me as long to to kind of get my head around it and think of it that way because it was really constructive as soon as I looked at not only like Interra is a brand and I, I would argue that Interra I'd successfully argue that Interra is the best brand in the market for what we do but I've kind of got like a sub brand within Interra and I'm very concerned with that doing everything I can to control the image of my brand in the marketplace. yes yeah. um, so yeah I, I think that it's it, you know making sure that your materials are polished like i referenced before i think the biggest thing is the consistency of what you're working on um it's not always the exact same size it's not all you know i can't work on all thir- well i could i suppose but i you know my business is not working on all 30 million dollar deals it's a, there is a range so i have to be comfortable with that but I, everything i send out i have to be confident that it's promoting the brand i don't want to sell a deal just to make a paycheck if it's not consistent with yeah what i expect the marketplace to see of me so yeah i've given it a lot of thought lately yeah
0: so then how would you approach it so someone has a uh, a four unit you mm-hmm. know two million dollar building to sell yeah what i mean how do you how do you approach that then
1: i'm not the right guy for the job you know i really appreciate you thinking of me um you know anything under five units for sure is just a different way of selling real estate and it's a it's a very broad it's a very deep buyer pool it's much more of like um a residential way of making sure that you get it out to a really really wide audience because you don't know who the buyer pool is going to be so getting it on the mls and getting like you know the folks the residential brokers who have really awesome like social media platforms and yeah. everything, they would add a lot more value. and this is the conversation with the seller they would add a lot more value to that assignment than me. You're hiring me to go out and proactively run a marketplace for a deal to a definable group of buyers and creating competition in a short period of time. And then from there, driving price and terms based on the competition and picking the best buyer who's going to have you know, the most optimum uh, yeah. timeframes and obviously price as well. So it's it's a different it's a different marketing platform and strategy altogether. And I'm very honest, if it's not something that I feel like I'm going to add the type of value to that's going to justify if you're paying me a few percent, I want to add more than a few percent yeah. of value to the deal. And I want you to be happy with the outcome. And then I also want the marketplace to see all right, Joe did a great job with that deal. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if, if somebody else has a similar deal that they're selling, you know, yeah. I want to have the image in the market to get the deal. And it's not like they're going to call me and hire me based on seeing me sell something else, but it should get me in the door. And if I'm pitching on it, it should promote my image to that particular client.
0: Yeah. And then the stuff that you you're recently sold, it looks like the building. It all reinforces yeah.
1: what I'm doing here. Look at this is what, you know, I, I bring up, I bring a track record book that's got a list of what I've sold and then a, you know, representative transactions that are, you know, a hundred other examples of deals like yeah. what you're selling. And then
0: what about? I guess are you worried then? Let's say that that uh, potential client or client, then they they use another broker for that smaller deal. I mean, then they like the experience. They got a five million dollar building. Okay.
1: Not worried about that. Um, I I think that it's I think it's a misnomer to think that if I go down and I, I shouldn't say go. I don't mean go down in meaning it's like a, it's better or worse. If I sell something that's different than what I sell. I've got to recreate the wheel i've got to try to do a good job and i hope i get lucky and i hope i execute i think that i'm much more likely to not do those things because i'm like i'm focused on what is my bread and butter yeah not perform the way that they expect and then you know i've got egg on my face because i didn't get it done and then i open you know Then the window of opportunity for competitors is open because I fell on my face on this assignment that I was never suited for to begin with. Okay, so I think I'm much more I'm much more comfortable. It took me it took me failing at this. It took me doing the opposite. Yeah, (laughs) but I'm much more comfortable passing. Honestly, say this isn't really what I do. Here's maybe a few people that would be a better fit. I'm still going to talk to them all the time about other business and. You know when they have something that's a fit they remember that i was honest with them i put their interest in yeah. front of mine and you know i didn't want to make a few bucks
0: so yeah i think you know one thing that i heard you say once and i'm sure you don't remember it, but there was some there's some building i think you were calling the owner on for me and uh or it was maybe it wasn't necessarily just for me but it was you had asked yeah. like are you interested in this let's try to get this guy on the phone um and i asked you how it went and yet you were like uh Oh, well, I just was trying to get the guy to like me first, <laughs> you know, which I remembered that a, a lot, actually, because that, yeah. you know, so I'm not, you know, is that sort of how you think <laughs> of like, because like, do you think of yourself as like a, you know, if you thought of yourself as just like a salesperson only, like you would have called yeah. and then, um, you know.
1: I, um, you have to start. I think you have to start there. And um, I think one of the, when I really settled into this as my career and my business, I became much more myself. It was all, you know, it was all very natural. Um, and I think the first place to start is inter- interacting someone and interacting with someone and just getting them comfortable that I'm going to be a pleasant yeah. enough guy to deal with. And then I'm honest. You know, it takes a while to prove that you're honest and that you're reliable in those things. I mean, those, the, I, you know, anybody that's like, let me be honest with you or, you know, trust me, I'm a really honest yeah. guy. Like, you know, generally not it. But um the longer I can interact with them, you know the higher chance I have to prove that yeah so um, yeah, I think the first start the uh, first place is making them comfortable that you're a normal person <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be pleasant to deal with and um, that you're not fishing for something that's not there and then you can you know kind of disarm them and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you, then we can just yeah. talk about whatever it is we have to talk about yeah but people are getting so many calls and you know I think you have to um, you have to have the prospect be comfortable with you before you start getting into the meat and potatoes. Of yeah, it.
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have you ever thought about like the length of these calls? Like, I'll get you in the reminder, yeah. Like, don't, totally. don't overstay my welcome or something on the phone here. Or, well, it-
1: yeah, I mean, so there's a balance. I think you know it's rare to have a, a, a really productive call. I guess it's less than a minute or so. Right. But it's a much shorter call. The, the goal of the initial call is much shorter than you'd probably think, because if you're on the phone for anything more than like five minutes, you should have already set a meeting. You know, okay. you should take it at that point. It's like, Hey, we've been having a great conversation. Let's get coffee, you know, tomorrow or whatever. I'm going to be at a building in the area. You yeah. Know? <laughs> okay, sure. um, what a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I think like, don't, it's not about overstaying your welcome. I think it's about recognizing a window, just in terms of engagement, you know, don't wait for the prospect to tell you let's meet, Hey, why don't you look at the value of this building? Or I'd like to go tour that building you're pitching me or let's meet like, that's my job to take the initiative. Right. So, um, I think that the, the optimal call is probably between a minute and a half and four minutes. Um, you know, and then somebody that you're really comfortable with, you know, we don't have to get together every time we have something to talk about. Right. So we could talk for 40 minutes and it's, can still be productive
0: yeah that's a good strategy on those initial calls because then i mean I, I would think if every call you make the person's thinking oh it's gonna be a half hour here yeah like they're not picking up the phone totally. or if they know they can just it seems gonna, like a big commitment yeah <laughs> right so no that's a good yeah that's a good good plan where we're not the calls aren't too long and, and focus on just being you know likable and a, yeah. you know regular person so yeah nice. i don't remember i
1: don't remember what that I, don't remember I don't remember what it, what it was. was but
0: i remember that uh I, yeah i just remember you explaining that because yeah. you know I get a lot of calls where it's you know got something for you to look at doesn't match the strategy or I got you know do you want to sell anything you know with these people that I, I mean honestly I don't even really know much about so yeah. it's interesting uh, that was your plan because a good plan so that's why I remembered
1: it it's also like we're in a niche business in a marketplace where there's a pretty definable group of really active people yeah so time getting somebody active to like me is time well spent. You know, I think that it's just it's just about having a good reputation in the marketplace and being active and being engaging and making sure that like we talked about earlier that I'm adding value to every every yeah. call, every meeting, every tour, whatever it is. I want to feel like I advance my relationship with that person, and that they think more of me than they did yeah. before. You know, or they. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a little bit um, polyamish to think like yeah. that, that it's going to be that productive every time, but just want to advance my brand every time I talk.
0: Yeah. So. And you want to have a plan when you're calling. Yep. I mean, so then this is where if you call and there's no plan, that's how you end up with a half hour call where yeah. they're trying to get and you off the, client the phone. Knows and,
1: that you're calling without a plan then at that point, yeah. you know, if you don't have anything to say, it's going to be pretty evident, pretty quick in the call. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, nice. Yeah. I think that was, that was great. I mean, I don't, I think this is a good, good stopping point. Good spot to wrap up. I mean, how would uh, Hopefully someone's got a building that they want to <laughs> sell in Chicago. I'll be over tomorrow. Yeah. But, um, How do they get a hold of you?
1: I'm pretty easy to get in touch with my cell phone number. It's 312 848 6682. You can Google Joe Smazel. There's not that many Joes. My dad's name is Joe Smazel, but yeah. <laughs> he's retired. So, um, if, yeah, I'm not too tough to get in touch. Yeah, with. so yeah. Um, and I, I would really I. Would, just, thanks for having me, man. It was, yeah, it was, it was my first podcast yeah. um, and it was fun to do. And I really take pride in being easy to get in touch with and easy to talk to and stuff. So if anybody thinks that we've got some synergies in our businesses, I would really welcome somebody to reaching out. Great. Well yeah. Nice job. All
0: right, if you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.